Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, Solar Warriors, welcome back. If you're new to Suncast, I just wanted to say thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending us your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you possess, that is your time. Today is the Climate and Clean Tech Investing 101. If you've been wondering what is going on in the world of climate and clean tech investing, well, today's entrepreneur, Mr. Craig Lawrence, is going to give you the 411. <laughs> I had so much fun interviewing Craig. He is an OG legit, and you're going to enjoy the stories and the insights that Craig shares from his wealth of experience, both investing in, growing, selling, and now investing again in clean tech, 1.0 and 2.0. I hope that you are subscribed to the show. That's gonna ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. Of course, you can always check out more than 550 episodes in our back catalog, clean energy founders, stories, and startup advice, just like what you're gonna hear today from Craig Lawrence. That's all over at mysuncast.com. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Over the last year and a half to two years, I have done an inordinate amount of uh, research into the world of energy and climate tech investing. If you've been following along at all, you know that we have talked about it here on the show through companies like Energia and Finite, a ton of other platforms uh, that are popping up including our own Climate Avengers, which you've been listening, paying attention, we just launched that podcast. So I want uh, to lean into an area that many of us potentially feel vulnerable or completely ignorant around how the money works and how this all can spur the kind of economic growth that we all believe is possible thanks to climate action and the kinds of companies that we want to invest in, which is uh, potentially the more important aspect of all of this. One of the folks that I really am grateful to count as a, a mentor and a friend uh, recently came into my life, a guy named Craig Lawrence. And if you have no idea who Craig is, he's got 25 years in venture capital, engineering, product development, and executive roles. And some of the most notable companies, companies you'll no doubt recognize some stories that we'll dig into that maybe haven't been told in public before. He has uh, led venture capital investing in Silicon Valley with companies like Excel Partners. We'll, we'll run through the list, I'm sure, with Craig. And he and his partner, Neil, have uh, recently been on the journey of venture investing themselves with their own fund called Energy Transition Ventures. Here to uh, enlighten us today is Mr. Craig Lawrence. Thank you for taking time to be on the show. My pleasure, Nico. Been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, the, the feeling is mutual, my friend. So I'm going to start out with something uh, that I, I haven't done before. I was just ch chatting with you a minute before we hit record that one of the things that I collect is uh, our quotes. I don't know why. I just love quotes. Um, so I have a rolling desktop back 
backdrop that gives me inspiring quotes every day. It actually changes like every 30 minutes because I maybe my rabbit brain needs that kind of, uh, uh, of inspiration. But I'm going to start sharing uh, my quote of the day or favorite quote. And, and I won't ask you to give yours. I didn't prepare you, but, but be, <laughs> listener, beware. If you're, if you're soon to be on the show, uh, you are going to be asked to share an inspiring quote at the beginning of the show. Cause I think it's, I, th- I just think they're wonderful. I love uh, gleaning from the wisdom of others. And Williams Jennings Bryan says the way to develop self-confidence is to do the thing you fear. Apropos, because the thing that uh, I probably leaned away from the most in my career is finance and investing. And today we're going to dig into that topic and how it has changed the lives of many people uh, in our sector, uh, yours among them. How would you, Craig, describe the problem that you've created ETV to solve? Talk to me as though we're at a dinner party and I have no idea what what field you're in. That's a big question. Uh, so <laughs> we, we were very deliberate in naming our firm. Um, and, you know, as you, you mentioned, I've been in and around the, uh, what we're now all client calling the climate tech space, um, mm-hmm. but uh, has had various other names um, including uh, clean tech, uh, probably most recently, uh, for for a while. And uh, as we were forming this company, this firm, uh, we we spent a lot of time thinking about what it is we wanted to focus on, what problems we wanted to solve, what was good, what was bad about clean tech uh, that we we were both a part of, and uh, mm-hmm. we've honed in on this concept of the energy transition, which interestingly now is a very common term. Uh, used everywhere. Three years ago, it was not, uh, that it was, it was not a, it was not a term of art. Uh, really you, you heard it in some corporate boardrooms, um, particularly in the traditional energy companies. Um, they, they like the term because using the word transition makes it feel like they're not going to be disrupted, that they actually get to just sort of gently transition into the new world. Um, but you know, so, so we are really focused on that. And this is a journey, you know, I started uh, uh, 20 years ago uh, before we were talking about climate change uh, as, yeah. a, as a society. Uh, and so what I saw happening 20 years ago is what I'm still focused on today, which is I saw a new set of technologies emerging that felt like they had the potential to rewrite how we produce and consume energy in a positive way, uh, both economically clean. Uh, you know, I grew up in the, in the seventies of the oil crisis. It felt like, Hey, like we need to, we need to sort of get off this juice that is causing so much, you know, geopolitical trouble. So uh, my partner, Neil's been on a similar journey. He's been in it even longer than me. And, uh, and so we, we narrowed in on, on this energy transition. It's the journey I started 20 years ago. It's the same one today is, we are at in the in the very early innings of a massive economic political transition uh, off of fossil fuels, which has been the you know primary driver of growth and technological advancement and and civilization for the past you know couple centuries. And uh, we 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 see a world where a new set of technologies, a new set of um, tools to produce and consume energy are are going to dominate. And so that's what we're focused on. We're focused on finding and investing in the entrepreneurs and the technologies that are going to drive that. Now, in the meantime, 
climate change has become a, you know, obviously a massive topic and is a massive mm-hmm. driver and something, you know, we care about quite a bit, but really it's, it's, it's not the fundamental driver of what we do. Um, we, we see this as a, uh, we see this as a, you know, a transition that was going to happen with or without mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the backdrop of climate and that climate is an accelerant um, for this transition. You know, the, the, the sort of urgency around the need to do something uh, is, is purely tailwinds for, for the type of things we would have been investing in anyways. A couple of things that you said there I love uh, and I want to highlight uh, fossil fuels being the primary driver of growth and civilization over the last several centuries. And I think that that's something that is not, it's not really internalized by a lot of folks. It's, it's in, my, in many ways, something that lays as a secondary layer in everyone's life uh, from literal clothes that you're wearing, watch on your wrist to all of the things that encompass uh, the way that your vehicle transports you around town um, in, in very physical manifestations, uh, the rubber tires to the fuel inside of the engine to the plastic visor uh, and, and rear view mirror. The petrochemical industry and the fossil fuel industry has truly powered the industrial revolution and, um, and been at the, at the heart of it. And so it's really important that we understand what Craig is saying here. And this is the second point. Climate change is not the primary driver for the change that energy and, and uh, energy transition funds are investing in. It is an inevitability, regardless of the fact that Miami, uh, your, your hometown will be underwater someday. Um, we would see <laughs> if, it, if, I hope it, not. if my, if Miami were going to be lifted out of the water, we would still see an energy transition. It is not uh, the threat of global warming that is driving this energy transition. It is simply the natural knock-on effect of technological, technological advancement. It is the passing of a baton. And to be fair, uh, there are a large number of people, my peers, who for which climate change is actually the driver of what they're doing. Um, again, right. it's extremely important to what we're doing. So there, there are some people, and I, I actually think it's uh, you know we're running an interesting in the world of venture capital and finance broadly. We're running an interesting experiment, which um, I don't know that we've done in any major industry. Is we're laying on a new metric, you know, ESG or carbon, you know, tons of carbon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a new metric to quantify investment opportunities that are mm-hmm. not directly financial metrics, right? And so um, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out for the financial community and the investment right. community. Um, we, you know, we do not do that. I do not have for our fund, we do not have a requirement that every company we invest in has to show that they can abate X billion mm-hmm. tons of carbon, a million tons of carbon. Mm-hmm. All of the companies we invest in are going to have a tremendous impact on carbon emissions. Um, yeah. they, they, they are, they are all going to, but we do, we choose sort of not to layer that as a investment requirement. Um, because fundamentally, I believe that the most important thing I can do is is build successful companies. And uh, to do that, they have to be able to raise capital. They have to be able to deliver product. They have to be able to deliver all the things that typically investors, um, they have to you know have revenue and profits. And, and, and this is where you know, we focus our filtering criteria on opportunities. And our belief is that if we if we bet on those companies, and they succeed, they will have, you know, very large uh, carbon impacts. We'll get to the size of the fund in a minute. I want to talk a bit about kind of the investment thesis through the eyes of 
or the lens of the kinds of companies that you're investing in. Uh, those who listen to the show regularly will have listened already, perhaps, I hope, to Karin Calvino from Renucio 2 whose episode published last month uh, in, in March. And she is exemplary of the kind of uh, forward-leaning um, but synchronistic ecosystem that you guys are carving out. So in the world of VC, there is generally at a fund level, or maybe you can help sort of explain, explain this for those who are VC novices, a fund thesis and how you decide the where and how to filter who you invest in. So maybe use Karin as an example of the kinds of uh, smart folks that you are engaging with and that inform how you think about the best way to channel the uh, the investor money that you have raised into the Energy Transition Ventures Fund. Sure. And, uh, you know, the, the little VC 101, which, you know, frankly, I, 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 my career, most of my career was as an engineer. I, I came later in my career to finance. Uh, my partner, Neil, is a true finance genius, and I'm glad mm -hmm. I'm, I'm partnered with him because I'm, I'm, I still uh, refer to myself as an engineer, even though I haven't, haven't uh, mm -hmm. designed anything in years. You know, we're, we're capital allocators, right? This is generally not our money um, that we're investing, although we do uh, – my partner and myself, we do actually contribute to the fund. So we do have skin in the game. Um, our investors require us to do that because they, you know, they want us to, they want us to feel, they want us to feel the pain and the urgency of returning capital. You know, so we have investors, um, all funds have a, have a thesis, right? Uh, that thesis involves what sectors they invest in, what stage they invest in. They all have a, sort of portfolio strategy, which is what size check do I write? What, you know, how many companies am I trying to get into my portfolio? Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, there's some, some magic around, around doing that. We call ourselves an early stage fund. So we are typically mm -hmm. looking for, we will invest at the earliest stages of an idea. And I think Karen mm -hmm. and Renucio too is, is a great example. This is a a university technology. Uh, they come out of Rutgers University. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, a couple, uh, a few very smart, um, you know, PhDs, uh, along with a professor who have been doing this sort of electrochemistry work. And I won't bother to, you know, say a ton of what they do, but essentially they have a, they have a technology that will um, convert carbon dioxide into complex hydrocarbons, plastics, plastic precursors, uh, mm -hmm. using an electrochemical process. So it's really magic. It's uh, instead of making plastics from natural gas, uh, which is where the, the carbon comes from for a lot of plastics, uh, it, it, they make it from carbon dioxide itself. So you could take waste carbon dioxide from a power plant, from an ethylene plant, from a, uh, you know, from any, any source uh, and actually turn it into plastics, but make carbon negative plastics. And so, yeah. uh, but they are, you know, it was a uh, university, they hadn't really officially formed the company yet. They hadn't signed the technology license agreement with the university. So we got involved at that that very early stage with them yeah. and uh, and have been been helping them along the way, uh, you know, as best we can. Uh, they're awesome. We also invest in things that you would consider later stage, but in the world of investing are still early stage. Right. So we have. Um, a company uh, called Zeitview used to be called DroneBase that uh, that just rebranded, just announced a large financing round. That mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we got involved, they already had revenue, they had product, they were growing. 
uh, it was a you know a later stage, but still in the realm of early stage venture capital. So we'll we'll cover that whole spectrum. And uh, we are a little different than some other firms. We're a small fund. We are what I would call just high conviction investors. Uh, we're not taking a strategy of make you know twenty five investments and hope one or two win. We are making a small number of investments that we believe very strongly uh, can win. And that, you know, we, we believe in ourselves that we have the ability to pick those uh, at a higher percentage than our peers. Um, time will tell. Uh, historically, we've, we've done well uh, in our previous lives, both Neil and I. So, so yeah, so that's a little, a little VC, a little VC 101. And uh, it's a, it's a long-term game. You have to be very, very patient. Sometimes I struggle with that, like a company like Renew CO2. They're in the lab, right? I mean, it's going to be, you know, years before they start to have real measurable impact. Um, and um, but I'm looking forward to, to watching it. So a couple of quick questions. And first, I didn't realize that Zeitview, uh, that DroneBase had rebranded to Zeitview. That's fascinating. Just like um, a week ago. So you, you're, you're forgiven yeah. for not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the time of this recording in February, um, for sure, uh, it was it is fresh news. But I would have expected our friend Mark Culpepper to have reached out and, uh, and mentioned it. No, I'm kidding. Mark, uh, I know he's a listener. Actually, his wife is, is a more regular listener than he is, but, um, uh, that is fascinating. I'm going to have to find out more about that. So I, um, know that sort of drone base is a much later stage, um, business. When we talk about the stages, could you give me like the 32nd primer for anyone who just has no idea they hear series a and all that, but they don't understand it. I'm really curious if you've found a way, like this would take Neil a lot longer to answer probably, but could you give me the engineering answer for the various stages and relative size of the check? And then if you, to the extent that you can package it easily, the level of sophistication or progress of the company at each stage. And, and, and this is a very fluid thing. We joke all totally. the time. We'll see a company raising a series A and we're like, that doesn't yeah, look like, like a series. That looks like a pre-seed to me. Yeah. Uh, and so all these yeah. terms are sort of, uh, have different meanings to different people, but they are sort of indicators. They're supposed to be indicators mm -hmm. of w where you are in your company's life, right? Um, so, yeah. you is know, it, it is starts, it in the company or in the product, like product market fit? I kind of look a, at it. As, it's a little. It's a little of little everything. Of it really yeah. is. It really is supposed to be in yeah where they are in their revenue generating life cycle, yeah. right? Company like maturity, um, yeah. a lot of this emerged around traditional tech venture investing and right clean tech, climate tech, energy transition, it's a, th these companies are different beasts. They mm. don't sort of behave the same way. They have different right. product and sales and revenue life cycles. So it's, Hard tech it's, versus it's, it's really, it's yep. really, yeah, it's really kind of hard to apply these things, but mm -hmm. just, you know, really quickly, um, you know, companies we'll start usually start, yeah, they start their life by taking, you know, sort of angel investors, which are, mm -hmm. you know, pre-institutional, but these are usually high net worth individuals, friends and family. People could be writing them $1,000 checks or could be writing them $100,000 checks. But, you know, you're typically raising sub $1 million in your sort of pre-seed stage. Um, and often a pre-seed, you may just have an idea. You may mm -hmm. have, you may have a, a product built and, and it just, it just sort of, it just really depends. 
this pre-seed is sort of, I don't know if it's a relatively new thing. I think it's, it's, I feel like it it's is. similar to an angel round. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of, you're, you're, you're not ready for a seed, which is usually it's where it's a made up term because nobody likes to use the term bridge. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. 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 And, um, and so you, you go through the projections, but through the progression, pre-seed, seed, A, B, and, and in, and in theory, there are sort of guidelines around what you know what it means in reality what happens is i need to raise my next round so i am going to up the level to the next level whether or not i've you know met the criteria for for that the imagined criteria for that or not so the stage names really have have little meaning to me right now um i look at where the company is at do do you have customers do you have a product uh do you have a technical proof your thing works um, are you growing revenue? Right. Uh, and then and all, you know, so at the end of the day, that name really doesn't factor in the name of that round. What matters yeah. is what price I pay for the company. Um, yeah. And what's the exactly. valuation? That was, that's the, the thing I was going to ask you. The valuation is the metric, right, of whether you are moving to another round. But then if you have it, a down feel, round, yes. you can you can move to from an A to a B and have a down round because your relative valuation goes down. Uh, we could get into Correct. the way that funds work <laughs> yes, and it would take the whole damn hour. And you um, want to talk to Neil about this because like oh, I yeah. said, he is the true finance uh, person. I'm the engineer playing playing uh, playing finance right now. Well, I'm going to have some time with him in Houston and we are going to dig deep into it because I know he can just geek out for a, for a while. Um, so generally speaking, I have understood um, angel and pre-seed is usually pre-institutional. Seed is where you start to get your first check from kind of institutional investing. It's usually kind of a strategic, right? Somebody who sees value in the end product and wants to invest early so they can have some sort of a pathway to commercial help commercialize it or have some sort of level of exclusivity. That's what I've seen at pre-seed at least. And then you've got your traditional seed round, which kind of used to be the step after angel and series A, both of which, depending on the type of company, I'm stating this on my understanding and asking you to maybe clarify. So for me, pre-seed or seed and series A typically are around product market fit. Like, do you have something that you could potentially offer in the marketplace and get someone to say yes to send it to them and have them use it and tell you if it works? And then B is you get to go do a series B when you've got something that looks like solid product market fit. You've went narrowed the the focus of, of the five or 10 possible ideas of how you could sell it. And you're going, okay, we need this stack of capital to go sell it this way for the next maybe 12 to 18 months and see if we can really scale and grow this revenue. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's right. When you're, when you're getting into the B and above, you're mm-hmm. in the way it's supposed to be is you're investing in growth. Um, not mm-hmm. growth means different things to different people, but you've got something that you want to start scaling more. Um, right. The, the, like I said, the difference in climate and clean tech is you'll have, you know, companies doing sort of deep technology development who will be raising a series E and have yeah. never shipped a product or gotten any revenue. Right. <laughs> um, and it's just because it was the next letter in the alphabet and we That's need right. more money. Um, yeah. Renew CO2 is an interesting example. You know, I would call what we did a pre-seed probably. Uh, but you know, they may skip the seed. It just, you know, who, who knows, right. Uh, it just depends on, on where they get there in the lab. Right. So they, but they have strong customer interest, right? What they're doing is unique. 
and very, very valuable. So if you're a mm -hmm. plastics company and you've got pressure to decarbonize or cha change your feedstock, um, there's not a lot of stuff, you know, there's not a lot of options. And this is a right. very, very exciting option to them. Um, so they yeah. are, you know, they're interested now. They're, there are companies that are involved in their pilots and in their demonstrations and that are providing some funding. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, we've got to, although we don't, you know, it's really impossible to say we have product market fit with this company because they're in the lab. We know that there is customer interest. If they can deliver what we believe the technology can deliver, there are going to be people to buy it. We're getting that mm -hmm. feedback from the market. So that's for a lot of deep tech type of things. That's the mm -hmm. kind of thing you're looking for. Um, do do customers want to invest? Do they want to fund pilots? Are they going to willing to commit to pilots? We have um, we have another company that is pre-product shipment uh, called Resilient Power here in Austin that's doing some really exciting power electronics technologies. They've got purchase orders uh, prior to you know prior to having the product ready to ship because customers are so interested. And so right. these are the sort of indications you look for. Uh, when you don't have, you know, a nice, simple, you know, revenue graph up and to the right um, yeah. that you can that you can rely on as you would if it was a straight software company, for example. Yeah. If there's any. So a couple of quick uh, touch points for listeners who uh, this just sparked all kinds of fireballs in your brain and you're thinking, how do I dig deeper? We did a deep dive with Karen on how and why she chose investors and how ETV has benefited them and uh, how much they've raised, what the process was, the team that she built prior to and after the raise. We really did dig deep. But the other one that I would point you to and the person who has given me the most insight as an entrepreneur into their fundraising process was this guy, Winbo She at Singularity Energy in Boston. And you got to go listen to that episode. We published it um, at the end of February and it is um, a phenomenal insight into the, the, the process as a CEO of building a thing and getting other people alongside you to fund that thing from idea to customer. And, um, and so I just want to highlight those two episodes because it's really important for folks. If, if this stuff, which we're going to move on um, a little bit into more of the commercialization conversation – but if this stuff is firing off uh, ideas and questions in your brain and you're looking for more content, please go listen to those episodes because we'd go deep into it there. And I'd be remiss to not point you to that. Venture capital has like the best PR of all the investment categories, right? It, it, yeah. it punches way above its weight. If you think about I totally. and I wish I knew the numbers, like the percentage of investment capital of all the investment types in the world uh, that it goes into venture capital is pretty small, um, but it produces a lot of impact financial and otherwise and it also mm -hmm. gets a lot it's 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 sexier than a lot of the other mm -hmm. categories right because you're talking about ideas turning ideas into reality and um, yeah. entrepreneurs taking risk and venture capitalists like to paint themselves as like we're not just investors we actually help right um some yeah. do some don't and and so it it, it has an aura but I, I got to tell you, we, we get a lot of um, companies reaching out to us, uh, probably on the order of 20 plus a week uh, that we are filtering through and meeting and talking to. And many of them would be better off with not raising venture capital. It is not the path for every company, uh, particularly some of these deep tech areas. 
that are you really um uh you really uh you know might might be better off focused on grants and uh yeah. you know department of energy programs and and other th- SBIR, and other things yeah. other other things that are available uh because you know venture capital is patient capital but it's typically not 20 year patient capital it's you know 5 to 7 year patient capital uh yeah. and some of these things just take longer than that to really get mm-hmm. to scale so one of the things as you mentioned you're looking at you know the pattern recognition is an important piece of being a good investor and that pattern matching is a skill built over decades we're going to talk about your skills um uh and Neil's uh, Neil uh in you know through the course of this conversation but I'd love to know, you know, one of the things that came became apparent to me when, in that conversation with Karen is how um, how intentional you all are about looking at the complementary um, cross section between the companies that you invest in, from the advisor network that you can plug into to help them, down to like the fact that Omium is an electrolyzer company and Renew CO two uses electrolyzers, right? Yeah. Can you can you unpack a bit? Some of the things in that light that, you know, you're in interesting conversations with smart people all the time on the heels of the Inflation Reduction Act and deploying capital at a scale that we have only dreamt of. What conversations are you in right now that you can share a bit about um, insights that around trends and opportunities for capital deployment that get you excited that perhaps listeners would benefit from? So it's funny you do mention uh you know we've got we've got these sort of two electrochemical investments for new CO2 and omium I do think as far as like an area you know electrochemistry uh I think we we feel is 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 poised to sort of rewrite a whole host of industries um and so I I I tweeted this out a while back if I was I you know advising thing. if I was advising young me uh who was who studied engineering you know, to, to what category of engineering to um, to pick? I I would say do something around electrochemistry. And of course, I was a mechanical engineer, which is not that. Although electrochemistry companies need mechanical engineers too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, th- this idea if I think about what Renew CO two is doing, they are using electrochemistry to build complex hydrocarbons. Um, it, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> they are literally. What we've normally had to dig out of the earth, we can create, and there are biological pathways for this as well, too, that people are very excited about. We get particularly excited about electrochemistry. I could imagine starting a fund just doing electrochemical. I mean, batteries are batteries are electrochemistry too, right? Like so a little bit different different than what Renew CO2 and Omium are doing, but it's the same, same kind of concept. And so, you know, this is an area where 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 we got excited and you mentioned pattern matching. When we look at uh, a company like Omium, which is doing hydrogen electrolyzers, we now have a couple decades of, you know, sort of the the clean tech boom around solar and batteries, right, which are things that I think, and, and I was there in, you know, 2005 when there was really very little solar, um, very little energy store, you know, there were batteries, but not for storing electricity on the grid, really. They were for your, you know, for your products and your devices and have sort of watched how those industries exceeded all expectations. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's someone out here who's going to 
point me to a study they did in 2008 that predicted the volume of solar we'd be installing in uh, 2020 and 20, you know, in the 2020s <laughs> yeah. and the volume of battery storage that we'd be installing. And it, it is, it is orders of magnitude bigger than I ever expected. In fact, right. uh, I think about residential solar is an area, you, you know, you know, you and I have talked about, um, I was in a uh, part of an early investment in Sunrun when I was at Excel Partners. And mm-hmm. I can remember the projections. And in fact, I can, I have some, of the, some of that of like sort of the success case of like how big the market would be, the U.S. residential solar market. And it is much bigger than, uh, than projected. Do you, right? do you remember anecdotal numbers? We were not talking gigawatts. Uh, we were, we were talking, uh, you know, uh, significantly lower market size. And I don't remember what, you know, I don't know what the U.S. Mm-hmm. did in residential solar last year, but I think it was a couple few gigawatts. Um, uh, yeah, uh, so, it's 500 megawatts a quarter. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. It's, I mean, uh, yeah. you, you know, so so look, so so that 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 all happened. And I, I bring that up to say there's a new set of technologies that people believe can, um, you know, potentially have the same kind of impact. And uh, mm-hmm. people are being a little more aggressive at forecasting. So hydrogen is a, is a great mm-hmm. example, green hydrogen. And uh, we, we looked at Omium and their approach, and they are following the, the energy storage and solar playbook, which is, uh-huh. you know, and there were lots of different technical pathways people have been looking at for both of those things. I mean, there, there, was, there was a time back then when it was not clear that silicon solar cells would be the dominant solar technology yeah, where right. we sit today. There was concentrating solar. There was... Um, Thin film solar. There were there were a whole whole hosts of different technology pathways. Same with batteries. I mean, flow batteries and all different types of chemistries. Here we are today. We have two juggernauts of silicon solar and um, uh, and uh, lithium ion batteries. And we we look at hydrogen and we're like, okay, why did these technologies win? Right? And it's really it's not. You know, there was not really much change in the core technology over the last 20 years. They're kind of the same and they've improved. They're more efficient, higher energy density batteries, but it's high volume manufacturing, right? These are products, right? They're not projects. Um, They are products that are mass produced in a factory and deployed on site with very little, we call EPC, very little sort of project work around them. I mean, right. there's always some project work to do a big thing, but like you're not building a, a chemical plant, right? Which is a, right. you know, customized mm-hmm. bespoke project. You're just yep. dropping and placing these modules. And so, you know, we, we I see the same thing happening in hydrogen. And so we made a bet on Omium, which is taking a small modular, high volume manufacturing approach using a, you know, fairly well-established technology, uh, but making substantial, you know, technical improvements and um, system-level improvements, and uh, and and providing sort of a new way to think about building hydrogen, building you know a chemical plant, right, which is making mm-hmm. hydrogen essentially, um, but but treating it like as if you were building a battery storage farm or a solar farm, uh, and. And, uh, and so, you know, that was our pattern recognition and why we picked that approach versus some other approaches that are out there getting funding, which are, mm-hmm. you know, taking a bit of a different, uh, a different strategy to, to how to deploy yeah. these uh, technologies. 
thank you for that. That's actually super insightful. I, I hope to. I really, really want to get Ahmad on the show. It's a long time bucket list. So I'm going to lean on you guys to tell me when the timing is right. But I don't know Ahmad if he does us. podcasts. It's interesting. <laughs> he I, will. Uh, I will fly to San Francisco and get Ahmad on the show. Okay. You may have uh, to. Yeah, you may have to fly to Europe. It depends on where he's sitting these days. But, uh, but you know, Arnie, the CEO of, uh, of Omium, uh, I met Arnie in 2005. Uh, mm-hmm. I was working at a company called IDEO, uh, which your listeners may or may not know, um, but that's how I, I sort of somewhere. got into this space. It's a product design kind of innovation firm in the uh, that was in, in the Bay Area and is, is still around and still very, very successful. Um, but uh, Arnie was working for a company called Ion America, which people now mm. know better as Bloom Energy. Um, so they yeah. rebranded. Uh, but when we interacted with their Ion America, they were building fuel cells, solid oxide fuel cells. Arnie was a head of engineering and uh, he hired uh, IDEO to help with sort of industrial design and some productization stuff around this bloom box that they well, it wasn't called the bloom box and what it's now called the bloom box, which is the yeah. really first successful commercialization of a solid oxide fuel cell. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I met him back then. Obviously, I know Ahmad, who's involved with Omium from uh, he was my boss at, at Sun Edison for several years. And so, uh, you know, these guys put together a super powerful team, um, probably the best team we'd ever seen in the space. And um, yeah, yeah, so encourage you to talk to, to either. either Absolutely. I mean, I, of course, want to want to chat with Arnie as well. His uh, time at Bloom alone is informative. Um, I want to I mean, there's so many conversations to be had, but. You mentioned Arnie as the CEO. One of the things that you, uh, I think, is got to be just a simple pleasure of being in the position you are with the 20 plus pitches that come at you. You get a chance to interact with CEOs who are early in the life cycle of the business and who are eager to um, to be challenged in many ways uh, to answer questions about technology that and ask questions about how to become uh, successful, like how to, how to actually mat- uh, uh, commercialize, uh, materialize success around an idea uh, or a product. As such, you must hear a lot of very insightful and thoughtful questions, but I want to ask a slightly different uh, version of, uh, of this. And that is, what are the kinds of questions that CEOs looking for investments should be asking you, but often aren't? The things that you sit there going, why? You're asking the wrong question. And what, is, what are right. those? Right. Uh, I would say that the, the, the relationship between a venture capitalist and the CEO is, uh, is an interesting one. It is, a, um, it is a true relationship. You're getting into a what could be a 10 plus year mm-hmm. relationship, which is you know, longer than I think the average marriage lasts here uh, in, in the U.S. Oh gosh, so you, know, you do yeah. <laughs> that who that person is and how you get along with that person uh, is, is quite important. And again, I, I would, we should have done a duel with Neil here, but uh, Neil has a great talk on, on all, all the all the mistakes uh, the first time founders make, and it just so happens that all of our portfolio companies today are first time founders, first time CEOs. Um, we didn't mm-hmm. intend that to happen. Um, that wasn't we didn't go out seeking that. It just it just so happens uh, that that they all are, uh, and mm-hmm. we 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 love them all for for very different different reasons. Um, uh, I think, and I'm not sure if this is kind of where you were going with this question, but the problem I see uh, for a lot of companies um, 
who who you pick to be uh, your investor in the early days, which includes you know angels and 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 sort of seed and individual investors, pre institutional, really really does matter. A term that we talk about all the time is the cap table, which is the capitalization yeah. table, which is basically a, a table that shows who owns your company, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. uh, who owns what percentage of, of your company. And when we look at a company, one of the first things we'd want to see is the cap table, who owns mm-hmm. the company. And a lot of uh, founders, um, particularly first time founders sort of aren't really th- like to them, they just need money. It doesn't matter really where it came from, or maybe even what strings are attached to it. Um, and uh, we, one of the very first things we do when we're excited about a company is show me your cap table. And I want to mm-hmm. talk to all the people who have invested in you, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I want to understand why they invested in you and sort of, you know, the normal, like, who are you? And I understand, I want to know what their intention is. Do they plan to continue to support the company, right? right. Um, and a lot of times for angel investors, they can't, right? Like, hey, I wrote my check and that's that's all I got. I'm not yeah. a... I'm not a, uh, I don't have a fund. I can't just keep funneling money into this. But a lot of times you'll see um, companies that have a cap table with some really, really strong names on it. And, uh, and with, you know, lo- funds larger than ours, a question we ask is, why are you coming to me to raise money? You've got mm-hmm. more money than you need around the table. So to, I think to bring this back to your question is, if, if I, the, the question I, I'm surprised how many times that founders don't know when we go to ask their investors about the company, like a founder should know what your investor is going to say, right? Like you need to know what your investor thinks about you, what their plans are for you, what their future capital are. And I'm, I'm out, I'm often surprised at how few have thought about that. Um, and, uh, you're referring to in the diligence process, in the diligence process, right? Like, like, um, and so you, you know, who you put around your table uh, matters a lot. And we see this play out all the time. It can be the difference between success and failure because when things get tough and it's hard to raise new, bring in a new investor because maybe we're in a market condition like we are today, mm-hmm. which is, hey, you know, we've had a little correction in the market. Venture is slowing down. It's a little harder to raise money than it was certainly a year or two years ago. Um, you know, w- are the people sitting around the table going to support you, right? Are they going to be there for you either mm-hmm. with capital, with help? Are they available to talk to you? Because you're going to be highly stressed. You're going to be, you know, the, the emotional turmoil of being a founder uh, can be can be tough. And I would just say, I have never been a founder. I've never been a CEO. I learned very early on that that's not who I am. Uh, uh, that's not, that's not, that's not what I am. Um I, yeah. I couldn't do I couldn't do what those folks do, and uh, I have a ton of respect for them. And it's one of the best parts yeah. of this job is just meeting these people. Like I said, I'm taking twenty half hour. These people are distilling their life's work into a half hour for me, and so hard. Um, and I I feel for them because they're probably doing ten of these calls, you know, that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just, you know, it feels like a, a, a meat market. Right. And, um, I feel for them. And so I, I have to, you know, kind of knock on wood, knock on my head to remind myself mm-hmm. every day to be, you know, this is an optimistic time and an optimistic industry. And I, I, uh, I love meeting these people, even if it's not a fit for us, we will tell them why, um, 
most of the time, mm. uh, we will try so to, rare. if we're, if we're going to pass, we're going to try to, exp, you know, give a, give a reason, um, yeah. uh, and, um, and, uh, and, and respect the, the work that these people do and the, the yeah. effort that it takes and the, and just the guts that it takes to, to go out mm. into the world and, and try to create. I want you to think about if this were a soundbite. Uh, that you would want to send out to everybody who's pitching you to say, hey, listen to this and come prepared before you're 30 minutes with us. What do you think is the biggest error in strategy that clean or climate tech founders consistently make, particularly with fundraising, but in that seed to series A stage, what, what do you see as the biggest error in strategy that limits their, their ability to succeed and grow? I think most people don't do their homework. Um, when they come to pitch us, right? Like uh, some people do, but most don't, which is they don't know who we are. They don't really know what we've invested in. Um, even though we, you know, we, we go talk on podcasts like this and we, we write a blog and we try to put all our investments on our, on our website. And my LinkedIn is an open book. My Twitter's an open book. Like you, you know, with, with, with um, a little bit of work, you can find out. And what happens so many times is, They'll launch into their pitch. You know, they've got, you know, we've got 30 minutes, maybe sometimes mm -hmm. an hour and 15 minutes in, I have to interrupt them and say, what do you do? Like, because they are telling me, they're telling me about climate change. They're telling me how important it is, how screwed up the world is and all, and all this stuff. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to be patient. I'll try to be patient. Yeah. But at some point we just interrupt. It's like, what, what do you guys do? Right? Like, I already know yeah. all these problems. I know the market, right? Like this is my job, right? I, I don't, yeah. I, you don't need to. So, you know, now if you're going to a general tech investor, you might need to explain yeah. all that stuff. Mm, but if you're going to yeah. a climate tech, clean tech, energy tech investor, get to the point, right? Like tell us mm -hmm. why you're special. Tell us what you're doing. Tell us how important it is. Um, yeah. And so people, I think people are trained to you go through this pitch process that is sort of got Define the problem, you know, how big the market is. And, and yeah. sometimes your audience knows that already. And, uh, yeah. and when I'm taking, you know, eight of these a day, I know climate change is a problem. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. I think that's a really good point. And it's actually just a, you know, it's a, a public speaking 101 too, right? Know your audience. Understand that you have to change your message for the, and tailor it for the audience. And I, I have a question. So, if I'm a battery tech company and I've done the homework and I know that you've got a background in uh, microelectronics, is it fair to start the pitch in the first minute by asking a question like, uh, you know, how detailed would you like me to get into the actual background of the battery tech industry or would you like me to jump straight to the problem? Is that a fair question for a founder to say at the beginning? For me? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy. I do like it's funny because a lot of a lot of founders will call in and say, hey, look, I've got slides, but I just want to talk. And sometimes uh, yeah. that's OK, but I do want to see your pitch. Right. Like I do want to see your pitch because how you pitch is an important uh, is an important sort of criteria for me, because my you're, expectation you're, you're is judging you're judging the. Yeah, that's right. You're going to be going it's all, out. It's and all, you're judging the CEO's capacity to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to see your pitch. I'm just saying like. You know, if you've got 10 slides on the general problem space, maybe you can, for me, you can kind of quickly go through that and get to the point. But yeah, no, if, uh, and I have a lot of times it's useful. I think really polished founders, a lot of be, a lot of them will 
try to gauge with questions at the very beginning, sort of where I want to focus. Right. Um, yeah. And if it's in, you know, an area that you you and I know pretty well, like solar, it's like I don't want to focus on how big the solar market is or or uh, that. I, I just kind of want to get to what you're doing, like as fast as possible. Right. Like so yeah. you can go through that stuff quick with me or you can just skip it. Right. And I'm very fine yeah. to have that conversation at the beginning of the at the beginning of the pitch. So you've mentioned Twitter and uh, I, I was going to bring this up at the beginning. I thought I'll wait. I'll wait till later. But we sort of met on Twitter. It's one of those interesting things. I can probably say that you're the first person I actually met, got to know, and, and eventually invited to actually be a guest on the show exclusively through our Twitter engagement, um, which is, uh, is kind of crazy in, in context because we have so many mutual friends on Twitter. Yeah, it's, and, and, it's, but yeah, never, it's a, well, it's amazing we didn't meet through another context really prior to that. Just yeah. I remember that, you know, the first time we talked – I didn't really fully understand how deep you were into solar and you, you brought up something. I, I, I hesitate to even bring it up from my past, um, a, a startup company that I got involved with. It wasn't, you know, maybe wasn't the, you know, wasn't the, the, the best decision of my career. And it was like, oh, you knew all about, that. I thought like everyone, nobody, anybody, I thought everyone was dead who, who remembered that era of solar or had moved on yeah. to other things. I'm like, oh God, you know, everything and everybody. So I, I need to be yeah. careful. I need to be careful here. It's kind of, it's like, it's like me and Eric Wessoff. Like we remember the gravestones. <laughs> er, yeah, no. And Eric and I were, you know, I got to know Eric back in that, that old time period. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure he jousted with you a, a, quite a few uh, times a on time. Ready and he, other, and other does, I don't, he and I had a tough time because, you know, I, I, he, he, he was one of the first in the media and just in general to really catch on to microinverters. Um, yeah, so he, he was. was obsessed with them. I was obsessed with them too at the same time. Yeah. So we kind of bonded over that. Well, I ended up going to work for a microinverter company, Solar Bridge. Solar Bridge. And yeah. so, he, you know, he called me up and wanted like the scoop. And unfortunately, you know, I had a, I had a boss and a CEO, which was like, look, we don't need to tell the world what we're doing. Like, we're, yeah. you know, like he always wanted to know how many units have you shipped? And, and I, I, I remember going to boss, can I, I'm like, can I tell him? And then, and, and yeah. my boss was like, the CEO was like, no, <laughs> you can't. So he would call me <laughs> thinking he had the inside scoop and I'm like, I can't tell you. And he's like, well, I don't want to yeah. talk to you then. I'm not going to write a story about you guys. Like I need some information. And I remember, so we, we jousted and I think he, he, he hated me for a while. Uh, but, uh, he's, he is, um, he has been around as, as long as anybody. He certainly has. Well, I'm curious how intentional, uh, or not is Craig Lawrence's use of social media as a platform. I would say it's intentional. It's certainly intentional. It is very, you know, sort of work focused, uh, in mm. the sense that I really try to just talk about energy related stuff and I'm not yeah. on there opining about politics or uh, other social issues. Um, mm -hmm. Although, you know, occasionally I, I would say it's so it's intentional in how I use it. I don't think I have any intentional strategy in what and when I post. It's sort of just when it comes to me, I, I post something. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. so in that sense, I, I imagine like people who are truly intentional have a strategy to get, you know, gain users and drive engagement. I don't really think about that. I have a pretty small following in the grand scheme of things. Um, so, but it is, I get the become feeling become a valuable the, source of meeting people yeah. like you. That's what I was going to ask you. I get the feeling though, that it's about, kind of about documenting your thinking and have it 
in a place where, you know, like um, politicians write books, right? So that they can have a historical reference to say, like, this isn't a new idea for me. Um, I kind of get that sense for, from you. And I've really enjoyed following you because you do document your thinking through Twitter and it, you are able to distill it. You ask thoughtful questions of the, the, the few who follow you, as you put it. Um, but I've seen myself as an example that it seems to be a great inbound strategy for you as a result. And I'm curious, uh, um, what led you to focus on Twitter? Because as I recall, you were, among other things, a top uh, contributor to Quora. So can you talk a bit yeah. about like the dance around different platforms and how you decided Twitter is where you're going to spend your time? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have thoughts and things to say, right? Like, so, uh, so for a long time, I was sort of an early adopter of Quora. Again, your many of your users probably don't know what Quora is. And, um, uh, I spent a tremendous amount of effort, uh, over many, many years writing. So Quora is a question and answer site. So people ask questions, mm -hmm. people write answers. Um, it's, you know, kind of like a Reddit, uh, and, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's closer to Reddit than Twitter. Um, it's interactive, uh, not intended just to sort of spit out, um, but to actually answer questions. And so, you know, I'd see questions on solar. It's like, oh, I know the answer to that. So I'd, I'd write an answer and I, you know, uh, and I just kept going and I kept going and then I became a top writer on Quora. They give you a little, I don't get any money for it. I just got a little award or whatever. I got, I think they sent me a certificate one year like in the mail. Um, and, uh, and so I will start to write long form answers, uh, to, to questions. I mean, everything is like very specific technical questions, like how much, you know, how much energy will, if I have a, you know, my, my house in, um, you know, Indiana, how much energy can I produce? Or like how much solar should right. I, like I'd actually do math on there. And then other ones would be more, a little bit more philosophical, I did this for years and years and years. And finally, at one point, I remember I started to get onto Twitter more and I'm like, I'm getting way more value out of this Twitter engagement than I am out of Quora. Yeah. Like I'm not getting anything out of it other than I enjoy the writing, like literally no business leads, no money, no, no relationships really, maybe yeah. one in the whole multi-year <laughs> time. So I kind of yeah. just stopped and started to focus on Twitter because uh, and then the interesting thing about Twitter is I somehow fell into this um, EFT community, which I think stands for Energy Finance Twitter. So there's a group mm. of mainly oil and gas people who write about finance and energy. And oh, wow. um, I somehow stumbled into this world and was following people. And then they started following me. And I'm not exactly their cup of tea, right? Like they're not like renewables. They're They're traditional yeah. energy people. They're like, you know private equity and uh, oil and gas hedge fund traders and, uh, you uh -huh. know, all, all those kind of things. And I started mm -hmm. engaging with them uh, and I I found kind of a voice in how to interact with this world uh, of traditional energy. And it's been hugely valuable actually in moderating my point of view, actually. I actually listen to people, people who engage thoughtfully. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of crap on Twitter but uh, yeah. I actually have, you know, moderated some of my views about oil and gas because I got to know some of these people are working in their thoughts. And I feel like I've had yeah. a similar impact on some people. And so it's been really satisfying. And then there's the interactions with people like you that led to a podcast that's going to le lead to more people hearing my voice. I've had startups meet me through there and get pitches that mm -hmm. I wouldn't have otherwise probably gotten. I'm seeing the value for me personally. 
uh, and I enjoy it still, even with, you mm. know, all the Elon craziness around Twitter. I, I, <laughs> I've, I've never like really threatened to leave. Um, uh, uh, I tried Mastodon for like a, a day and I couldn't figure it out, I too. I, you know, and oh, I'm God. like, I'm like, I'm going back to Twitter. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so I enjoy it. And like I said, I, I don't I know, I don't it. know, like I'm waiting for that one day where I actually have a viral tweet that gets me like a lot. I, I see people in, there's a lot of venture capitalists who have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really know why. Um, I mean, I think yeah. cause they've had, I think they've had, you know, some, some big success to point to. And then it's like, okay, right. every, you know, like, Hey, I was an early investor in Facebook. Well, I want to follow that person. Right. Um, right. Right. I don't presume to know anything about scaling on Twitter. So what I share with you is through uh, the other one of the other podcasts I routinely listen to my first million and the guys that run that podcast talk a lot about uh, Twitter and claim that like going viral on Twitter is easy. So my advice is listen to Sam Parr. Uh, he suggests that there's a formula and it's around <laughs> writing good, good threads. <clears throat> yeah. And um, I've never been able to figure out how to write a good thread that, that got any traction, but yeah. Sam, uh, actually his, his, uh, his co-founder of the, of the, my first million podcast, uh, created this, <clears throat> this community very recently in the last year that got hundreds of thousands of followers through using Sam's like thread strategy. So there's yeah. free advice, uh, that, you know, I'll, I'll check it out, but I, but for. I, but I will say it's not like an, it's not really an aspiration. Uh, I mean, again, I, I like what I have, I like what I'm doing on it and I, I like the interaction and, and it is growing. Right. Um, so yeah. I'm just like, hey, I'll just do the slow, the slow, steady growth. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. The tracker market is complex, but you want to maximize profits when installing or specifying tracker systems for your utility scale or large distributed generation solar projects. So use Trina Tracker with its innovative technology that can cut up to 200 man hours. Trina Tracker makes installations easier and faster so you can speed up installation times, reduce labor costs, and lower LCOE to achieve optimal project value. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really gonna be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score of the value of your survey and design process? Would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanafly next Wednesday, the 31st of May at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Or maybe it's this Wednesday, or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay at any point. You are going to benefit from the insights that we're going to reveal. The benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys, it's all there. 
I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scan and Fly. See you there. I want to pull back back to 30,000 feet a bit. I want to talk about like you getting into the tech and investing and then, uh, and then solar sector. Can you put me in a place in time in your career where you discovered that this is what you wanted to do? It is burned in my brain. So uh, again, I was a, 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 a study mechanical engineering. I was a hardcore mechanical engineer for the, the you know, first half of my career. I did a PhD in mechanical engineering uh, I was working at this company, IDEO, uh, and again, mm-hmm. I, I encourage everyone just go to IDEO.com and, and just and just look at some of the cool stuff that they do. Um, it's been it's been that way for um, forty years, uh, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe thirty um, plus years. Uh, there's a long mm-hmm. history of very smart people, uh, engineers, designers, uh, behavioral scientists, like figuring out how to make products for people, and so. I was happily doing that. I was working on medical devices, designed a really cool device to monitor your metabolism. Uh, I worked on furniture. I designed an office table that is, I still see today when I go into some conference rooms. I'm like, that's my table. I worked on that. Um, I designed uh, appliances. I designed consumer electronics, all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, it's project work. It's consulting project work. So a company comes in, hires you, put together a team, do this project, deliver it to them, mm-hmm. move on to the next one. Well, I was sitting, it's probably 2005 or six. I was sitting at uh, maybe 2005, sitting at IDEO and the, 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 the person running the front desk called me up and said, hey, I have someone here who, who wants to talk to someone about a project. And I just was friends with her at the front desk. So she thought of me and uh, it was the, the CEO of a solar company. Uh, and he wanted to, um, he wanted to talk about doing a project, you know, some some work with us. And it turns out this was Mike Ahern, the CEO of First Solar at the time, uh, right, either right before or right after their IPO. And so I didn't know any of this. Like it was just, you know, just a guy came in to talk to us. And so I, I met with him and I didn't know anything about solar. He explained their technology and what they did. And I was like, wait, so you've got this pane of glass and the sun shines on it and it just produces mm-hmm. electricity. <laughs> like that's how it works. It, like no moving parts, no nothing. And he's like, yeah, he goes, he goes, that's what it is. That's what it is. I'm like, that is, that is magical, right? Like that is magic. That's not technology. That's literally magic. And, uh, <sighs> and, and so um, I worked on this project. It was first solar, uh, very early days of first solar, what Mike wanted to look at was, should we be in residential solar with our technology? And we were, you know, we were known as a firm who could like figure out what consumers want and figure out how to innovate around, you know, products. So we did a, I did a deep dive kind of probably a, I don't know, not a long pro, maybe a four month project, did a deep dive into the residential solar market in 2005, which was, <laughs> I mean, this was pre everything, right? That we all know and love today. Solar City and Sunrun, and you know, uh, you know, it was Monpa, mm-hmm. you know, dude with a truck, um, you know, installing some solar panels. Um, and so we basically put together a strategy for First Solar to get into residential solar, and it involved it, the thing we we were 
we were leaning on was their solar panels are beautiful, right? Like, I don't know if you've looked at a first solar solar panels, particularly yeah. back then, they're all glass, frameless, and all black, yep. right? And yeah. the other solar panels perfect back for, then looked perfect like- Perfect for conference tables. Right, exactly, yeah. And so anyway, so <laughs> after that project, I was like, there's this magic technology. I, I, a longer story about how I believed it could scale and become very cheap because Mike convinced me of that and, and it turned out to be true. Um, but I said, this is what, this is what I've been working on all these different things. Like this is the kind of stuff I want to work on. Um, and so I started an energy practice at IDEO. I said, I'm just going to find more clients like this. And we found Bloom Energy. We did work yeah. for some utilities, some electric car companies, fuel cell companies, uh, you know, so that that was sort of it. And I basically from that point on, I'm like, this is the I really have no interest in working in any other area. Um, but that was as an engineer. Right. Or as a as a you know project product yeah. person, the the yeah. falling into venture capital is a, whole, is a whole nother story. But uh, I can tell it if it's interesting to your your listeners. I think we'll get there. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to hear that. And it's fascinating because as much as we've talked, I didn't realize the story for Mike was to actually help them launch a resi business. And it perfectly aligns with my next question, by the way, which they didn't <laughs> uh, do. They ended up mm -hmm. investing in Solar City. I don't know if you remember that period of the mm -hmm. world where definitely Solar City solar, deployed a ton of first solar panels. Yeah, and it turns out they were breaking them all because they don't have frames and they're difficult to lug around a roof. And it just they're yeah. not they weren't very efficient back then. Um, and so, kind of just I, I think I was it just fizzled. The, I was at the tree. So here's a fun story that I think I talked about with Flanagan when he was on the show um, for their Earthos episode, but. I was on the team at Trina that launched Trina Mount and Trina Mount was Mike Miskovsky's second bite at the apple outside of outside of Canadian solar of getting yep. a major Chinese vertically integrated solar panel manufacturer to integrate the ZEP rail into the manufacturing process. And our biggest clients were Solar City and Vivint. Yep. And we both know the story. So yep. uh, we were able to successfully go lock in a 365 day terms like Solar City in exchange for agreeing to use Trina Mount got 365 day payment terms on there. This is 10 <laughs> years ago, so I don't mind sharing, right? But at at like then current prices. So at that yeah. point, I, I want to say it was like 98 cents a watt, Greg. It oh. was insane, but they had, they had a year cheap. to pay that for it. Cheap. Right? Yeah. And they converted all of their entire installs to Trina Mount traditional uh, um, crystalline product away from First Solar. And then uh, 18 months later, acquired Zep in an effort to slow down their then biggest competitor, Vivint. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Which I, is that, why companies like Pegasus exist today. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I yeah, I was I was deep in the mix there. I loved Zep, by the way. And actually, there, there's a there's a Zep IDEO tie. One of the the early guys Zep worked with was a, is an IDEO uh, an IDEO product developer who was involved in helping them uh, not through IDEO, but just on the side, helping them with that Zep yeah. product. Uh, the the yep. other thing, you know, I, I, you know, Solar City was the like the white whale for microinverters, like for whatever reason, they were anti microinverter, like they just did not believe mm -hmm. in the technology. So mm -hmm. I was trying to sell them for feels like years trying to convince them just even to try our product. Meanwhile, Vivint was all in microinverters, right? Like all they in. only did Zep and microinverters. Yep. And uh, yeah, and uh, I think it's, it was a very interesting, very interesting and world back then. Here's like one interesting tidbit, just like total geekdom. But 
the reason that the acquisition of Zep set Vivint back so far was that Zep had integrated the in the microinverter into the rail. And so not only did Vivint have to figure out a new rail strategy for mounting their product because SolarCity wouldn't sell them anymore, they had to figure out a new microinverter installing strategy. And it was a like total conundrum. It was like the, it was the chef's kiss. Like it was the most, I was, uh, that was never in the ice cold move, man. That was just, it was, it was the most vicious. I still think it was like (laughs) the most ice cold, vicious acquisition move in the industry that I've like witnessed and been been able to be like, holy smokes, this is just a complete knockout punch, but it didn't obviously Vivint did really well. They did really well in part because they had uh, other alternatives to, to to grow their business. I want to get into something actually that we could connect a, hundred, a million dots here, but I have a really interesting question. When I was at the same time working in the industry, I was doing a whole lot of uh, CNI for Sun Edison. And I was talking with um, our buddies there who were trying to figure out a, a strategy for expanding Sun Edison. But one day they told me that they had uh, this residential strategy and I was just like, well, I really need to better understand this because we weren't focused on resi at all. And lo and behold, uh, I found out now 15 years later that you were behind that move. Now I have a very simple question, uh, simple, not easy. How did you talk Ahmad Jatilla into launching a resi division at Sun Edison? Oh man. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is the uh, craziest time of my life, by the way. Uh, many books should be written about Sun Edison, uh, such a, a great, but complicated organization. So after IDEO, I had gone to Excel partners, the venture capital firm, yeah. uh, to do clean tech mm-hmm. investment with them. And, um, uh, this was back when lot they call this now cleantech 1.0 this was the big wave of cap- venture capital that just sort of flew through um thin film solar battery materials flow batteries fuel cells i had just you know a couple years earlier come off this first solar project and working on on energy projects i was really excited about residential solar i was always excited about residential solar i just yeah. felt like it was going to be a thing, right? It was going to be yeah. a mass market thing. And it was just a matter of how and when. And and so we, I, I told the folks at Excel, it's like, I want to back someone in this space. So we went through everybody. We looked at Clean Power Finance, Solar City. They were all <laughs> raising venture capital. Um, Sunrun, uh, you know, there, there were a whole host of Sungevity. There were a whole host of these folks. Met, got to know everyone, looked at all the different strategies, we ended up investing in Sunrun, um, which was a yeah. we made the right choice. Uh, although Great Solar choice. City probably would have been a good good out financial outcome as well too, but we made the right choice. Uh, it was a great great thing to be involved with. Um, but I um, Excel after that, as well as another very uh, relatively successful investment, O Power. Uh, Excel was kind of like we're not going to do clean tech. Like we 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 just we just don't see it for us, and so yeah. I needed to move on. And so I started to look for a job and um, I got introduced to Ahmad and then Carlos, who was sort of, you know, uh, Sun Edison had already been acquired by MEMC. So Sun, uh, MEMC, Ahmad yeah. was the CEO of MEMC. Carlos uh, Dominic was running Sun Edison. I think his title was president of Sun Edison. And, and MEMC had their solar and semiconductor materials businesses in addition to Sun Edison. It eventually rebranded right. the whole thing as Sun Edison. Um, but anyway, yeah. so I'm, I met with these folks. I got introduced by one of their investors. 
And I was talking to them about my excitement in residential solar. And their reaction was, that what, that business sucks. Like, and, and in fact, if you look at the origins of Sun Edison, there were sort of some solar companies that had been acquired or merged. And many of them had done residential solar in their early days and viewed it as a bad, a, just a bad business. Um, and yeah. everyone wanted to do bigger, bigger systems, right? It's like, hey, you still have to do all the permitting and interconnect and stuff. Why not do a bigger system, do a CNI system, right? Yeah. That eventually morphed into utility scale system. And I said, and I explained to them what was going on in the industry. They didn't know, like, I, I won't say who, but one of the senior executives kept on calling it Sun City instead of Solar City. Like, he didn't even know Sun the City. name. And I made an argument <laughs> using data pulled from the, um, who were the guys that did the rebates in California that had all the data online? The, the, uh, yeah, the CSI, C CSI database. database. I pulled mm -hmm. up this data. I, I, I basically made two points. One was, First of all, they've stolen your financing model, right? Solar City and Sunrun were both doing these PPAs and le you know leases. They basically they basically copied your third party financing model that that Sun Edison pioneered and applied it to residential in a way that worked. And by the way, this is residential's a just fundamentally different business. And I graphed on a graph. I graphed Sun Edison because you could get this data. Their California like their installs over time. And it was just a sort of choppy, bouncy line, right? Like some quarters right. they had a ton, other quarters it went down to zero because they were doing large projects. Projects get delayed, projects get pushed. And meanwhile, I, I plotted uh, Sunrun and Solar City as these sort of smooth curves that were just showing showing growth. And they were smaller yeah. than, than Sun Edison, but I was mm -hmm. like, I said, in five years, these companies are going to be bigger than Sun Edison. Here's uh, the intersect point. Yeah. I, I just said, this is going to happen. And they're like, bullshit, that's not going to happen. I said, this is going to happen. And they're like, okay, well, if you really believe that, why don't you come in and, and, and help us? You know, we'll, 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 you know, we'll hire you. We'll give you a desk and you can, we'll give you like a person. I had a, a like a, a partner in crime that had been at Sun Edison for a long time and knew the ropes there. And he's like, you guys pitch us a strategy to do this internally. And so I did, and we launched a residential business. Now the history of Sun Edison, Edison, Edison Residential Solar is quite sorted. I was at the very start, but um, it collapsed uh, multiple times and was rebirthed multiple times with different people involved, you know, culminating in their attempt to buy Vivint, acquire Vivint, which Again, amongst other factors, led to their their downfall and their ultimate bankruptcy as a company. Yeah, I'm um, just trying to do too many things, and yeah. uh, so you know my 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 part of the res Sun Edison residential story is pretty small. It lasted about probably a full year of operating this business. We raised a fund from uh, you know a major financial institution. We were doing leases. We mm -hmm. partnered with One Block Off the Grid, a name you'll probably right. remember, but many of your listeners may yeah. or may not remember. They were yeah. doing they were doing lead gen and customer acquisition for One us. We had a, the lead gen platform. Yeah, we had a network of installers and it was going pretty well until factors outside of the residential business conspired to have one of many sort of financial hiccups in Sun Edison's history that uh, basically, uh, the the then CFO basically said, this is great. You're not profitable. So why should we keep investing in this? And I was like, well, I've been doing right. it a year. Like nobody's profitable. And this is a long 
little bit of a longer term game. He's like, all right, well, you can keep doing residential, but you can't do this financing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I'm like, without the financing, we don't have anything because that was what was needed to be in the market at the time was a third party financing product. So when they yeah. said I couldn't do that, I was like, well, I can't. I definitely can't get profitable then. So I'm going to I'm going to have to leave. You evaluate the cap table, you evaluate the team and you talk about, you know, Solar City early days, Sunrun early days, um, SolarBridge, Enphase, Sun Edison, all these companies where you had a chance to look and develop the pattern matching we, met, we, met, we mentioned earlier. When an early uh, seed to A round company comes to you, um, what's your preferred batting order in terms of the structure of the early team that you want to fund? What skill positions you want to see filled and in what order in terms of like what usually are indicators of the right early team? I don't know if there is one, but I'm curious if you've found something that might be indicative. Yeah, it's not an easy, it's not an easy question. Uh, obviously the team is extremely important. Different businesses sort of demand different things, right? Like, uh, you know, think about a sun run. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a technology play at all. It was a, it was a financial, financial, you know, it would be called a, the, the, you know, Sunrun at a Series B when we invested would be called a fintech company today, right? Just happened to be operating in solar, right? They weren't building anything. They weren't, you know, they were, they were, they had a finance product, literally. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a, and a, a unique one and a novel one that worked, that worked really nicely. Um, and a, and a go to market strategy that works. So really, you know, you're looking for, uh, you're looking for a team that looks like they can go build a business like that, which is very different than a Renew CO2, which is like they've mm-hmm. got to build an electrochemical box that's going to, you know, turn A into B, that at some point they'll have that box and then they're going to need a team that can actually, you know, go go out and sell and go go win um, against you know, what will likely be a competitive environment. Um, so yeah. it, it really varies, but we are looking for people, um, you know, there's obviously like it goes without saying, but just sort of integrity is is very, very important um, because, again, it's this 10-year relationship. You know, we're minority investors. Venture capital model is mm-hmm. to be a minority investor. We don't take ownership, so we do not control the company. We can advise. We'll have often have a seat on the board and have a vote, but we do not have a majority. So at the end of the day, once we've written our check and signed our documents mm-hmm. – we don't control the company. All we can do is influence, right? So the, that relationship with those people, you know, do you get along? Do they listen? Um, they don't always have to do what we say, but do they at least listen and, and make, uh, you know, try to, try to, you know, get other points of view. So these kind of soft things are very important. But then, you know, if it's a true like deep tech thing, we're looking at the, the tech, we're looking at the technology team more than anything. It's like, can these guys, can these guys ball? Can they, you know, can they, do they look like they have the horsepower to take this from whatever it is when we're investing to a awesome product, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, and yeah, there's always going to be missing pieces. And do, do we feel like th- those pieces will get filled, meaning people who are good in those spots will want to come work for these folks or work with these folks? Mm-hmm. If it's more of a, if it's more of a, a sun run kind of, you know, business model innovation or a soft product. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for um, indicators that, that, that these, that these folks can, can deliver. Right. Um, And it's not always easy. Uh, You know, 
you have to you have to take a chance at some time. So a lot of it becomes down to a gut feeling about about the individuals. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there are any particular salient lessons or takeaways from early mentors or experiences that had a profound impact on you or the way you view the sector that you now pass along as you now, as you mentor the companies that you lean into. Yeah, I I I don't I didn't know how lucky I was to have fallen into Excel Partners um, mm-hmm. as my sort of introduction to uh, to venture capital uh, for a couple reasons. One is they are very good investors, uh, and I encourage anyone go to you know accel.com and look at their portfolio. It's like unicorn after unicorn successful exits. They were early in for I think first institutional or very early into Facebook yeah. and. Companies, you know, lots of companies that, you know, when I was there, we did a, what I would call a pre-seed investment into Slack, uh, you know, which no many way. of your users, or oh when many of your listeners are probably using, using today. And I, I, I watched that whole process unfold and I was like, these, guys, these folks are smart. They didn't have religion around clean tech or climate tech, right? Like, so my, and they didn't mm-hmm. have a dedicated fund that they had to deploy. So what, what was happening every time I brought in a company, whether it's an Enphase or Sunrun or, or Opower, it was getting compared against the other opportunities they had in front of them, which were not clean tech, yeah. right? Which was Slack or you know whatever it, whatever it is, right? Um, the the other areas that they focus at, and they knew very very well, and they knew venture very well. It's an old firm where you know one of the one of the handful of successful where there was sort of generational passing down the torch and mentoring and teaching, and so there was just a lot of history, a lot of institutional knowledge on how to do venture going back to the yeah. early days of venture. So I didn't realize I was getting a lesson from some of the best in the business. And so the thing that stuck with me is when I'm evaluating an opportunity, it's not, is this the best clean tech opportunity? Mm. It needs to be the best venture capital opportunity. And at the end of the mm. day, the people who invest in our fund Ultimately, what's going to matter and whether I can raise another fund or whether they are happy or satisfied customers is is what my returns are them. Yeah, right. I can point to how much carbon our companies abated, but if I didn't make them any money, they're not going to give me any more money. <laughs> right? Like they're just not. Right. Um, and so yeah. I, I learned this sort of discipline. And again, we did two investments in two years, seeing thousands of deals. Mm-hmm. I learned this discipline that I don't think a lot of investors in climate tech have today, which is I, I'm not just picking the best climate tech. This needs to be a venture. This needs to be a, 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 have the ability to be a successful venture capital deal. And I, and I think people lose sight of that. Uh, And so that, that lesson for me and, and, and thus, you know, we are, we are not a high volume investment shop. Like I don't think there's a hundred great climate tech investments right now. I don't believe there yeah. are. I think there might be 20 mm-hmm. um, that will deliver sort of fund, you know, fund, the, you know, fund making returns. And, you know, my job is to go find those 20 and get into as many mm-hmm. of them as I can. It's not to just spray, spray and pray. And I, I think um, I think there's a range of different people uh, investing in the space with different philosophies. But like every time, like we have not done a software investment in energy transition, climate tech yet, a pure software investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because everyone that comes in, I look at it as if I had my Excel hat on, which is, yeah. you know, what's your, what's your ARR? What's your growth rate? What's your customer acquisition costs? What's your, you know, like, and if you're not in the, the range of being a, um, 
you know, a, a, a top tier software outcome and venture, I can't justify making an investment no matter how much I love what you're doing and how important I think it is. And that's that's the hard part uh, because people who tend to invest in this sector, you know, have religion. I have religion, right? I believe, yeah. right? I believe it's important for society to uh, reduce our and, and ultimately eliminate our carbon emissions. And I think it's important. It's p- sort of part of my mission in life. But if I lose sight of the financial aspects of what we do, uh, then I'm not going to have a chance to do it anymore, right? Like, so mm. it doesn't do anybody any good for me to lose investors' money in this sector um, because they'll leave the sector like they all did last time. Uh, mm. And and I so I, I do worry we are, you know, we're in a bit of a bubble, climate tech bubble. Yeah. People are going to get burned uh, and people are going to leave the sector again. Uh, and so- we're, we're running a marathon, not a, not a sprint here. I'm so glad that we were able to get to eat, to get to that point. And it actually, you know, there's a lot when I say this <laughs> that we'll understand between one another, I'll leave it in the, in, in the interview, but it gives me some insight into companies. I know you've said no to, and, um, and the, the filter through which you've made the decision. And it's interesting too. And I would acknowledge that as founders, there's often when you are rejected at the funding table, the way that Enphase was by Excel, it's easy to take it personally. And I just want to encourage people listening to not take it personally. There are so many other factors that go into how and why you're chosen uh, that is as complicated as finding a mate. As Craig mentioned earlier, it is just as complicated and important as getting married because you are getting married for a long time. Um, and I find that a lot of founders do, uh, because it's such an emotional process, they take it personally. Um, and it takes a, it takes a while to build that muscle, that thick skin, you know? Yeah. And I, like, I, like I said, I have, I said earlier, I have tremendous amount of empathy for that role of the, the mm-hmm. founder, the CEO. It's, it's not, it's not something I think I would do well at. So, um, so I, I just, anybody who's just willing to give it a shot and put their, mm-hmm. put their you know, their career, their life, everything on the line for it. Uh, it's not easy to say no. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it is. Sometimes it's like, this is just a bad idea. You know, sometimes yeah. it is that I would say not most yeah. of the time. It's not most of the time. Like I could, I could of the thousands of deals. It's easier I mean, for Neil than you. <laughs> uh, it is a little easier for Neil, uh, but I, you know, I could, I could craft a, I could craft a rationale for investing in almost all the companies that have pitched us. I could craft that mm-hmm. rationale. And, uh, and the thing is, it's, yeah, it's not just my decision. I have partners and, and, you know, like we have to, Mm -hmm. we have to all kind of get, get bought into this. And, um, right. So, yeah, I'm sure I guarantee, uh, that many of the companies we've said no to will be successful and they'll call me up or they'll see me or they'll tweet me and be like, ha, I told you so. And I will be very happy for them. I will be really, yeah. really happy for them because it's good for everybody Good for them to use that as fuel. Yeah. 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 Use it as fuel. Just know that Craig is going to be happy for you and I'll not going to feel like he missed an opportunity. Well, I will feel like <laughs> um, I missed the opportunity. Unless it's an in phase. <laughs> I, w- I will feel like I missed the opportunity, but I'll still be happy for you and I'll learn yeah, and it'll be another, cool. it'll be another data that's point cool. in my, in my education. Right. That's cool. What, if any resources have been really helpful for you as you come up the learning curve on the venture side of this business? Is there a book or a blog or something that you've turned to or referred people to time again? 
And that's actually a great question. It's it's interesting because uh, my partner, Neil, just finished up a four-part series. It was a, a, a talk that was filmed. So I don't know if it's published mm-hmm. yet, uh, but uh, – We'll get the links from yeah. – Yeah, we'll get the uh, links. It is going to be published for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, where – I mean, it is chock full of, of, of information. It's not just Neil talking. He's got guests as a four part thing. And, um, it's chock full of information about sort of venture capital and, and startups. Uh, so, so that Mm -hmm. I, I will point people to that when I have the link and we'll get you the link. Um, but it is, it is a, uh, it is a opaque nebulous world that, that doesn't have a lot of structure or, now, I mean, there are tons of podcasts and resources and stuff now. I tend to um, – I don't know how useful all of them are uh, in mm-hmm. terms of actually providing like actionable information if you're either for a startup founder or if you want to get into venture. Um, I, I don't know how you get into venture. I'll be honest. I know how I got into venture. It's not a replicable process. Yeah. I, I knew somebody. Yeah. Right? Like I, mm-hmm. I knew somebody and was in the like literally at the right barbecue at the right time, met somebody and just hit it off. And uh, and all yeah. of a sudden I was in. Um, and uh, but that's not a that's not a strategy. Um, so uh, and, and I, you know, I, I talk to people all the time. In addition to getting startup pitches, I get people calling me wanting to be get into venture. And I had a coffee this morning with a undergraduate at University of Texas at Austin who's trying to figure out how he. He gets into venture and he's a math major, just graduated. And and uh, we had a long talk about it. And the, the the end of the result was like, I don't know exactly how you get into venture, but talking to people like me is a good start. Um, talk to as many of people like me as you can. That's helpful. Is there a book that for you has given um, just outsized leverage on how you think about leadership or maybe even life? Is there something that you gift the most to friends and family? I'm not one of those people. Uh, I, I I love yeah, those people. Fair. They give me books yeah. and everything. I yeah. mean, I, my my education has been, you know, finding myself in some of the most amazing places on earth. Right? Like IDEO yeah. is, you know, the, the mm-hmm. people who know IDEO. When I say oh, I worked at IDEO, there's a group of people who will know what IDEO is, and that is MBA students because IDEO is taught yep, as a case study <laughs> in. Lots of MBA programs, including like Harvard, right? Like, uh, I don't know if it still is, but it was. And and so, you know, I got to be, I got to to be there. I got to be at Sun Edison. I got to be at Excel. Yeah. And th- and and the people. Uh, that's where I've that's where I've learned. Uh, I've learned the most. The greatest learning is doing. I, I will yep. say, you know, in the last five years, I mean, it's been podcasts for me. So you're, you're on yeah. my rotation. Um, and they're in that, you know, I, I, I tend to listen to podcasts from the industry, right. From my industry yeah. and, um, you know, all the ones who do that you admire, I'd love to know if they're, who, who are well, the two or three that kind of regular rotation besides Suncast. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Suncast. I mean, I listen to shale, uh, uh, yeah, you know, um, and, uh, and, and you know, the, the, those folks now? catalyst. Are, yeah. Catalyst. And then yeah. what's the other, um, Oh God, I'm blanking. Carbon on the copy, name. Yeah, carbon copy. You know, I, mm-hmm. I really like these because they get really good people on, um, and I learn mm-hmm. something. I remember the, I, I think it was Shales or maybe I don't know if it was Carbon Copy or Callus, where they had a, a, a guy talking about fusion, and I didn't know much about fusion, and I, I I got out of that thing going like, oh my God, I actually know a lot more about fusion than I did when I 
when I started. Wow. And, uh, and so I'm That's constantly so cool. trying to educate myself that way. Um, yeah. uh, I, I appreciate I, that. Shale Khan is one of those guys that just has been, um, such a giver and really does in the way that we have at Suncast, like Shale with Intersect and Catalyst, uh, and the team they have over at PostScript, like they really do try as we do to pull back the veil and introduce people to real thinkers, like deep thinkers and how and why they come to conclusions they have. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you, Shale. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. No, but, uh, you know, um, it's, 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 it's all, it's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And I think, yeah. you know, I think what you, what you're doing is, is, is incredible. What I love about it is because, you know, particularly I have this, you know, I will tell this to your to your audience. We have not done a real sort of solar investment yet out of the fund, which to me is like drives yeah. me crazy every day. Drone base <laughs> uh, now Zeitview does do work in solar. That's a big yeah. part of their business. Um, but yeah. you know, I I, I spent nearly a, you know over a decade of my life in and around that industry. And um, so, if you've got yeah. a cool solar startup, I want to I want to hear about it. Um, and there's lots of good ones out there, right? Like so. Uh, I've said no to to many that I hope I hope I was proven I hope I get proven wrong. There's a couple that I I you know was really hard no and uh, but I so so I'm I'm still looking and what I love about you know yeah. your your podcast is, is just your you know your inside knowledge and the people you get that are you know maybe not always the you know like celebrities in the space but that are yeah uh, that you know that this industry is made up of people who have been dedicating their life to it for decade plus True. and and they um mm -hmm. they have something to say right uh and you 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 pull mm -hmm. it out of them it's really enjoyable i really appreciate that thank you i'm gonna little, make a little clip mark here for my team to go back and read <laughs> go and back and make a that. commercial this is why we do what we do yeah if folks are so inclined and they want to pitch you or just ask for coffee or uh find you on twitter how do you like to engage where can you best be found so a DM on Twitter is gonna is gonna get me uh, a, your a, a, a message on yeah it's at C Lawrence C L A W R E N C E uh, LinkedIn I mean I'm I'm on I haven't for some reason haven't mastered the the LinkedIn but I I will get your message there um, you know mm -hmm. we I I open every info at Energy Transition Ventures dot uh, Energy Transition VC dot com which is basically the form on our website. I mean, it's, you know, obviously if you're hearing this, you can go right straight to Twitter or LinkedIn, but mm -hmm. I open everyone, I read it, I respond to every single thing that comes through there, including that like- email is info at- Energytransitionvc.com or just fill out the form on the website. That's yeah, what- we'll, that's we'll what link, comes, we'll link to it. Yep. That's what it comes through to me in my, in my inbox. Fantastic. Uh, and, uh, Fantastic. And, and I, and I look at all of them. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say one of those, one of those three. Uh, and I just, you know, I, my, my, my advice, if you if you want to pitch us is just do a little bit of homework on us. Right. Um, uh, mm. and, and just know that what we, what we know about and what we don't, um, just based on our public our public profiles and persona and our website and, uh, and just, you know, don't, don't feel like you need to explain climate change, uh, for 15 minutes to me. Uh, I'm sure I'll right. learn something in there that I hadn't heard before, but at the end of the day, it doesn't move me closer to investing in your company. Um, cause I'm already, a, I'm already a believer. <laughs> like that's awesome. Well, one, one final question. Thank you for all of this and for such deep insights. Uh, this is a longer, 
uh, episode. And it's one that I genuinely believe that people should be listening all the way to the end. So if you've gotten this far, thank you for, for sticking around. Craig, let's end today with a bold prediction. Uh, and I'm going to change it slightly than I normally do. What sector do you feel will benefit the most from this next wave of, you know, spawn, uh, sort of spawned by IRA and other um, headwinds or tailwinds? Um, this next wave of climate and clean tech investing, what's in your crystal ball? I, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I think it's electrochemistry. I think we are moving into an electrochemical world where the traditional, you know, chemical producers, and I use chemical broadly, uh, whether that's hydrogen, you know, whether that's uh, 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 hydrocarbons, um, uh, are, are, are going to be impacted greatly by, uh, by electrochemical innovations. And that, that includes batteries, right? Like, so we are, mm-hmm. we are, we are about to go, we're at the beginnings of this world where smart engineers and scientists are going to be able to create materials and substances and chemicals, uh, with electrochemical processes that use instead of fossil fuels as your feedstock, they can use lots of things, right? Water, carbon dioxide, oxygen, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, and they're, they're going to build, you know, chemical factories of the future that will be able to be run off of renewable energy. And that's where it sort of come back, comes back to us because none of these things, like the reason people get excited about like green hydrogen, you hear that all over the place. The reason people are excited by it now is because renewable energy is cheap as hell. Right. Um, and, and that wasn't true 10 years ago. Uh, but it is true today that, um, you know, we believe that essentially electricity prices are, are, are going to the floor, that we are electrifying everything from transportation to chemical production to, you know, to, to heating. Um, and we believe that ultimately the price of carbon is going into the floor too. I mean, carbon is going, you know, there are going to be lots of opportunities to bury, convert, use carbon dioxide, whether it's sucked out of the air or pulled off of a power plant or a chemical plant to create, you know, new and interesting things. And so all and all of these things are enabled fundamentally by very, very low cost renewable energy. And uh, and I, I just think it's an exciting world. This is the transition that I kind of hope for. We're still at the beginning. Like I said, if you go to my Twitter feed, you know, half the people there tell me solar doesn't work and wind's a scam and, uh, you know, b- batteries don't work. And, and I'm sitting here living it. I'm driving a Tesla and I'm, you know, I've got solar on my yeah. roof. I'm like, it, it actually works. <laughs> it does work. I mean, yeah. is it perfect? No, of course it's not perfect, right? Are fossil fuels perfect? No, they are not perfect either. So we are going to, we are going to be in an interesting transition. And I, I just, you know, I'm excited because I think it's going to happen fast enough that in my lifetime, I'm going to see massive shifts, meaning like, yeah. you know, the the thought of buying an internal combustion engine, hopefully I'll live long enough to be like, that's just a weird, that's just a weird idea. Like, why would you do that? Um, and uh, so I'm look, looking forward to continuing to watch it. I love that. Uh, Chef's kiss. That was a beautiful way to end the interview. And I really am grateful for not only the time, but the uh, the insights that were shared here. Anyone else who invested time, I'm sure, is coming away with a great return on that investment. Craig Lawrence is co-founder, uh, partner in Energy Transition Ventures, along with Neil Dykeman, who we will have on the show 
uh, I hope very soon as well. And I'm super grateful to call you friend and mentor and industry colleague. And I'm so grateful that you've joined us on Suncast finally. My pleasure and keep keep doing what you're doing and keep growing your empire over there. Um, it's exciting to watch. Woo, that is a wrap on today's Practical Insights from this Solar Warriors journey. And I'd love to know, what did you learn from my friend, Craig Lawrence? Are you gonna go and tweet it out? I hope you will. I hope you'll tag Craig. He just gave you his Twitter handle. So go ahead and do that. Would you tweet and tag Craig how this episode is adding value to your life right now? Of course, we're gonna share this episode over on LinkedIn. And the link for that is right in your show notes in the podcast app that you're listening to. So you can click on that and see in our newsfeed what we have shared about this episode. Give us a like and a comment. That would be fantastic. Oh, and I recently discovered that in Spotify, you can leave a reply. So if you are watching this in, uh, or listening to this in Spotify, or if you're watching it over on YouTube, thank you for giving us a like and a comment. And yes, press that subscribe button so you will be notified every time we release a new episode. Like next Tuesday with our Tactile Tuesday and our thoughtful long form executive profile, just like this one with Craig on Thursdays. That's right. Twice a week, we're bringing the heat. If you're eager to keep learning, then you, my fellow PhiloMath, can find all the resources and highlights and book recommendations, social media links, etc. All the stuff that we discussed today and in our 500 plus episodes in the past over on mysuncast.com. Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. Each and every week, we're able to do this show and bring it to you without asking you for a penny because they give us a se several pennies to cover the costs and defray the cost of production. I'm super grateful for our returning annual sponsor, SunGrow Power. Thank you, SunGrow, for sponsoring us, not for one, but now for two years in a row. You can learn more about SunGrow and all of our other wonderful sponsors at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you could learn ways to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week. Or maybe how to just get on my calendar if that might be interesting to you. Again, that's mysuncast.com. Check out the sponsor page forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. I hope today you are a better investor in clean tech and climate. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.